getting to see a portion of scripture that honestly has been very um, divisional, if we can put it that way, uh, very much taken out of context in many places. And we just want the Bible to teach us what the Bible says. And I think we can all can agree this morning that when we follow and when we see the Word of God in proper context, it's incredible at how much balance and how much strength God gives us uh, in life and, of course, helps us glorify Him. And is that not what we ought to be about this morning? And so let me encourage you this morning uh, to take any preconceived teachings or notions and just kind of set them aside for a few moments here and allow the Word of God to speak for itself as we begin this portion of Scripture here starting in verse number one notice what jesus or notice what paul under the inspiration of the holy spirit of god says now concerning spiritual gifts brethren i would not have you ignorant ye know that ye were gentiles unto these dumb idols even as ye were led wherefore i give you to understand that no man speaking by the spirit of god calleth jesus accursed and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, the, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God, which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. To, uh, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh at one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally, as he will. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this portion of scripture. God, I'm thankful for the clear teaching that your word gives us. And God, I pray that you would help us to see the context of the word of God this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to take any preconceived notions or even initial instincts that we've read about this portion of scripture, even in the reading a moment ago. And I pray that you would help us just to see the balanced and the contextual view of the word of god god may we put the gifts of the spirit in biblical context and god will give you the praise and glory for that because that is in all that these gifts are for is to direct people to a saving knowledge of jesus christ and i pray that you would help us please to see the truth to apply the truth and of course to follow the truth and Father, we'll give you the praise and glory for how you teach our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. This morning we're looking at a subject I've entitled The Biblical Context of Spiritual Gifts. The church in Corinth was a young church that was truly filled with babes in Christ, the Bible says. Much was happening in this church, and Paul knew that there was some organization that needed to be done in the services to bring order to this church. Paul states that it was chaotic. 
Paul stated that it was dysfunctional. It was truly contrary to what God initiated and desired from the church. It was something that was not drawing people to Christ, but rather putting people off for Christ. Years ago, I believe David was just a uh, just a baby, I believe, if I remember correctly. He always loves me telling about that as a teenager now. And uh, such a cute little baby and just, you know, really just, you know, everyone loved him. He was the he was the poster child for cuteness and all the crushes. Uh, I'm just teasing. I just enjoy seeing his face get redder and redder and redder. And uh, but uh, But we were in this church. We had scheduled this church. And scheduling this church was a little un, uh, a little. Uh, uh, different than normal as far as uh, I talked with the pastor and the pastor said well just talk to my secretary and she'll schedule it all I said okay all right and every church is different so we did and um, as we scheduled it I knew that there were some peculiarities but nothing could have prepared us for what we entered as we went to this church we arrived and we were presenting uh, the ministry that God had placed upon our heart uh, to Come and to preach the gospel here in the UK. And as we were there, we set up some materials, put out some prayer cards, just like our missionaries have. We talked with some people before the service, and it was in a very odd corner of the auditorium or the hall in which uh, we were placed and just really kind of just set a set apart, but there wasn't a whole lot of space in this hall or this auditorium, so we just kind of took it for granted. That's where we were going to be. And uh, the service time was about to begin, and so my wife and I went, and we found our... We sat there, and we sat there, and we sat there, and we sat there. We talked with people around just quickly because the service is supposed to be started, and People are still coming in. People are still talking. People are still uh, going through. No one's at the front at all. I'm wondering, what, when is the service going to start? It got five minutes after the service and the same thing. Ten minutes after the starting time of the service and the same thing. After about 15 minutes or so after the service is supposed to start, suddenly a man begins to talk rather loudly in the back of the auditorium. We had no idea what was going on. We were still kind of asking one another and saying, okay, what did we get ourselves into here in this moment? And we suddenly realized that this man was praying. And that's how the service was to begin. It just a random person, it seemed, was just started to pray. And that's how the service was going to initiate when we realized that, we, of course, quieted down and uh, tried to be, uh, uh, of course, reverent and try to observe. We had no idea what was taking place at this moment. And as he was ending his prayer, suddenly a queue of people began to come in from the rear of the auditorium with tambourines and such, um, singing and letting their voices being heard as they walked up the middle of the auditorium to go to the front. And as they approached the front of the church, people stood here, people stood there, people stood there. They were still singing. The church began to sing, and we were like, what are they singing? What song are we singing? There was no words. There, we, we, there was no announcements to what song to turn to in the songbooks. Just people started singing, and 
we were honestly not familiar with that song and we were a little we were very lost trying to figure out what was taking place and suddenly as that song ended another person that wasn't even the first person that started singing from the rear of the auditorium started singing another song and everyone started joining in and people got their songbooks and opened them up and we're like where do you turn what is even the name of this song how do we find this song there was no first line of index it was just trying to figure out what in the world was happening and so we were looking through frantically trying to find it and someone behind us recognized that we were completely lost and they whispered it's this it's this song and so we found it and we tried to follow along and all of a sudden the next song started and this continued and there was suddenly people popping up for testimonies in the middle of songs and I mean it was we had no idea what was taking place and I was supposed to be the guest speaker the guest preacher that day and I was as confused as could be uh, I normally as you know uh preach for longer than 30 minutes and you say yeah, longer than an hour pastor i, I understand uh hey the word of god has a lot to say uh and, and you need it amen uh i've seen you you need the word of god uh and i just want to be a help amen just want to serve in that way but i'm just teasing of course but you know the we were getting close to this end of the service time the pastor said you know we need to be done by this because we're going to have a dinner after the service and we want to send you away with plenty to eat and uh with our or with full bellies and we want to make sure that you're well cared for after the service i said okay you need to be done by this time i'm watching my clock and the time is drawing closer and closer we've been singing and testifying apparently and praying all over the all over the auditorium for about 45 minutes going on to an hour and there was no inclination that it was about time for me to speak and then all of a sudden about mid-song suddenly uh one of the women who were standing up in the front of the church singing said okay now it's time for uh this missionary brother to preach and he's going to come up and speak and i'm thinking i've got about 10 minutes to preach so i get up and i do my very best to stay within now i think i think it ended up being about 10 to 15 minutes because how can you it's very hard to give a thought let alone to uh drive home a point with missions uh quickly at least with what god had placed upon my heart and we ended and the service and then afterwards it was just a free-for-all uh people were getting food here and there was food there and food here and food in this part of the building and food over in this corner and it's almost like you had no idea what to do. it was very very chaotic we had no idea what was going on there was no order to the service it was simply as they would say as the spirit led it was unusual to state the to state the uh, obvious there something that we were i'll say put off by but we were amused by we enjoyed the experience the people were lovely wonderful sweet-spirited people but there needed to be some order there needed to be some organization to the service there were some visitors there that day and they were like us and everyone was like, oh, you'll get used to this here in a couple of weeks. I'm thinking, get used to chaos in a couple of weeks. I think it would take me a little longer to get used to some chaos than just a couple of weeks. But that's how it was run. That's how things were done. It was a spirit 
of giving and generosity, but it was a spirit that truly was very chaotic and very uneasily setting. You know, the church in Corinth, I believe, was probably very much like that. Probably, as we'll see in just a moment, even worse. There was a lot of things going on in that church. There were some very gifted people in Corinth. Incredibly gifted people. Incredibly talented people. But Paul here in this portion of Scripture is driving home the thought that just because one is gifted, it doesn't mean that they are spiritual. Think about some gifted people that this world holds dear. We think of men like Beethoven, Einstein, and others that had had some incredibly talented and gifted abilities. However, those gifted abilities did not necessarily make them spiritual. It didn't mean that they were wonderful moral or ethical people just because a talent is given or because a gift is had doesn't mean that morality is godly behind that gift a believer truly can have spiritual gifts without any regard to spirituality or christ-likeness Unfortunately, there are too many situations to where we hear of a successful evangelist, a brilliant Bible teacher, or even a compassionate pastor that may have had had some incredible gifts, but they may or may not have been even spiritual. The Corinthians were like that. They had many gifts, as Paul mentions. And yet, notice this, they were one of the most carnal and ungodly churches. They were very talented. They had many gifts, but those gifts were not used spiritually as the Holy Spirit intended. This was a group of believers that were allowing their flesh to dictate how their spiritual gifts would be used. All of us, unfortunately, have known of some great Bible teachers who have been tyrants and infidel behind their home and their locked doors. Some admired pastors have sadly run off with the church pianist. I get to do that every Sunday. But my pianist, our pianist is my wife. So I get to say that. For those of you watching, that's what I'm speaking of. She's, I'm married. It's okay to do that, all right? Uh, in fact, I'm commanded to love that, to love our pianist, amen? But some have, uh, but some truly have sadly have gone directions which they ought not to go. Some evangelists have sadly been taken with greed, pride, envy just because someone is spiritually gifted does not mean that they are like christ paul here addresses the problem with the church of corinth i know it's valentine's day 
So my gift to you is we're going to just look at the first three verses, amen? Don't worry, there's many verses underneath of those three verses, but we're going to look at just the first three verses here this morning. Notice what the Bible says in verse number one. Uh, As as Paul introduces here, uh, or gives an introduction of spiritual gifts, look please at verse number one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Paul did not want these believers or this church to be ignorant of the spiritual gifts and their purpose that God gives them. Ignorance truly is the mother of all kinds of mischief, not knowing what they are for and the purpose and how to put those in order and how to sync those in with the body of Christ. Even today, truly, there are whole movements of Christians that are focusing on the misapplication and out-of-context approach of the spiritual gifts in which we have read and Paul continues to expand upon in the following chapters. There are whole movements today that focus on these three chapters as their mandate to take what feels and is experiences as what their heart thinks as good into a context of a spirituality that is out of biblical perspective and in truly it furthers instead uh, it furthers a self-promotion instead of what god desires as a further for the gospel you know as you look through the bible and you begin reading in genesis and as you begin reading through the word of god i encourage you to do so sometime if you have never read from genesis to revelation you need to do that I encourage you to do so. I've read through the Bible numerous times. Uh, I read through the Bible last year. Uh, My goal is to read through the Bible twice this year. I want to truly to read through Scripture. Uh, And that's apart from my study. And that's just, of course, my personal time and walk with the Lord. But as we work with and work through the, or we read through the Word of God, and as you read, you'll see a perspective that the Bible gives. And the perspective that the Bible gives throughout Scripture is a focus and a direction to Jesus Christ. The Bible points to Christ. The Bible points to Him from Genesis to Revelation. And if we were to take these three chapters and to turn those to where it is pointing to us and to how we feel and experience a worship quote-unquote we change the focus point that the entire rest of scripture has to us to ourselves is that what god desires does god desire for us to simply display our gifts so we get the glory we get the promotion we get the experience that others are pressuring us to have is that what the bible is for I can't find the context of Scripture to validate that. Paul says, if we're not careful, we through ignorance, through a lack of knowledge, can take these portions of Scripture and misapply them in a way that takes the focus off of Jesus Christ. We are focusing on a thought this year, a theme. I believe god i believe god are we focusing upon ourselves no 
we're focusing upon the one in whom we can trust, the one in whom we believe. Oh, how important it is for us to understand and to remember and to put in context that scripture from Genesis to Revelation points to Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. There have been some good people who have made the focus an experience or a feeling and has taken, unfortunately and sadly, things out of what God desires and has exploited that in an ignorance that has led to a destructive area and an unhealthy area in Christian life. Paul doesn't want us to did not want this church in Corinth to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And we as a Bible-believing church need to, be, uh, need to have the knowledge and the direction and the context of Scripture. Look at verse number 2, please. Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Paul here states a very blatant and apparent and a reminding fact. He says, remember where you were. He says, you were Gentiles. But remember where many of you were before you went into church, before you came into church. You were led away, you were carried away, as Paul says, by dumb idols. This was a remembrance of where they had came from and what had gone on in idol worship remember in this idol worship there were some very gifted and talented people that would worship these idols and lead people to worship those idols with them does that mean they were spiritual no it does not gifted but giftedness does not equal a spirituality one could have great talents but it doesn't mean they're spiritual. Paul reminds them of Satan and his demons that deceived them with many counterfeit gifts and demonic oral, uh, 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 oracles that went on in this idolic worship that led them a direction in which they saw as contrary to what God had wanted and what God desired. And he reminds them what they've been saved from and warns them here that these same practices that were done in idols can be applied in the church. Just because there is a giftedness or a talent doesn't mean that it can be misapplied or practiced wrongly in the church. He reminds them that they need to be knowledgeable about spiritual gifts. And he warns them, reminds them about what God saved them from and that God had something different planned. God had something special in store for his church. God wanted to use this church to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we come to verse number three and we're going to spend most of our time here. Notice what it says. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but 
by the Holy Ghost. Years ago, I sold a computer on eBay. When I sold this computer on eBay, it came through with a verified account and the PayPal uh, address or the PayPal account that paid for it. Right away, everything was verified. In fact, it was in my account and even transferred over to my bank account. Everything was looked safe, looked secure. Didn't think anything about it. The seller con- or the buyer contacted me and said, "Look, I happen to live in the same in, nearby," and he did. So I thought, and it seemed like this was a genuine transaction. I had no reason to doubt at this point anything else. Everything verified, the address, everything seemed to match up. No issues. He says, instead of posting it, since I'm just 10 minutes or so away from you, do you mind if we just meet? Save me some money? Save you some money? Sure, why not? Everything's there. My mo- the money's in the account. Everything seems to be good. And so we did. He says, I'm coming home from work, and he says, it'll be at a time. He says, coming through. He says, I'll just, if, it, if it's okay, I'll just meet you right here at this McDonald's and, and I'll just give it to, you can give it to me and everything's good. I'm thinking, okay, the money's in my account. Everything seems to be okay. All right. And so we did. We met, talked for a few moments. He asked a few questions. Everything seemed to be fine. He put it into his car and drove away. Didn't think anything about it. Two days later, I get an email from PayPal stating that the PayPal account that has purchased your computer had been hacked. And we are now taking all the money that was in your account back. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. That was not an email that I was expecting. That was not a something in which I ever anticipated. I lost not only the computer, but I lost the money. Everything was gone. What I thought was to be a simple, honest transaction turned out to be a scam. Turned out to be fraudulent. The man whom I thought was honest turned out to be something different. What one seemed to be was in reality something different. The Holy Spirit is truly well aware that there are people who will say anything to deceptively work their way into a church. And Paul here relays a test. Paul here in verse number 3 tells us that they must say, Jesus is Lord. Now, if we look at this very statement, Jesus is the Lord, let's again put it in context. It's very important before if we misapply this verse, don't look at the context of how Scripture follows this. We can be easily deceived. 
Because anyone can say these simple words, Jesus is the Lord. You can stop someone that's walking by on the front of the steps and say, would you say these words? And they could state those words, not believing in Christ and, not, and Christ not being the Lord or master or leader of their life. Anyone can say those words. Paul here is speaking of context. And this is why it is so important that we understand the right application here of context. Remember that he is speaking about spiritual gifts, as we will see in following weeks, in following verses. Specifically, public ministry gifts like prophecy, speaking in tongues, and interpretation. The Holy Spirit truly recognizes the danger of deception and puts in here a test, a safeguard, if you will, when someone is using a spiritual gift, making that statement, Jesus is the Lord. What is that speaking of? What is that referring then to? Speaking of a public ministry, but we must understand that there is a context to which they, which this can be stated that can be contrary to what God himself desires. Jesus saw this very thing in his personal ministry. Look at what the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4 with me. Let's do a little bit of a Bible study on this thought and on this statement, Jesus is the Lord. Let's look at what the context and what scripture uh, gives us as background to this. Jesus saw someone confess that he is Lord and it was an evil spirit. Notice what the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse number 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. So this man is possessed with a devil. He is not speaking that of full truth. Notice what he states here. And cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Notice this statement, thou Jesus of Nazareth. Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. The Bible teaches us that even the unclean spirits, even the devil himself, can and does admit that Jesus is the Holy One of God. So if all our litmus test is just to simply state those words, Jesus is the Lord, anyone can state that, even the demons themselves. Notice the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, Paul himself saw this same thing from a demonic spirit. The Bible tells us in Acts 16, verse number 16, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of, divina, of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by saying, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, these men are the servants of the most high God, which show unto us the way of salvation and this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned out and turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Here's a woman who was possessed and she was 
telling in a mocking way, in a way that was bringing wealth to her employers, that Paul and Silas were there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. She admitted that they were servants of the Most High God. She admitted that they were showing uh, people the way of salvation. The words were being stated, but was she filled with the Spirit of God? No, she was not. She was saying with another spirit. It's possible to say those words, but say it to this spirit that is contrary to the Holy Spirit. It's possible to use a spiritual gift, but contrary to how the Holy Spirit intends and desires. Paul reinforced this very thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when the Bible says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. There are people who will do anything and say anything to work themselves into the church to deceive and to beguile God's own people. The precedence is truly found in Scripture. Over and over again, Paul warns of false teachers, of those who have an agenda that is contrary to the Holy Spirit of God. Paul loved people. He wasn't stating this because he wanted just to hurt individuals, rather trying to protect the church whom he loved dearly. You look at the Bible and look through how Paul endeared himself to churches. The Bible says that he called some as brothers and sisters. They were so close to him that they were just brothers and sisters. The Bible says fellow servants, the Bible calls, uh, says Tim, Paul called Timothy his own son. He wasn't physically his own son, but Timothy's relationship with him was so dear that there was a father-son-like relationship. He loved people. He loved these people in this church, and he was trying to help them to be, uh, to be protected from being deceived by some false teachers, by those who are using a gift wrongly leading a direction that would lead to an unhealthy, chaotic, detrimental spirit and ministry in this church. Paul was protecting here. And John reinforces this with a test. A test on how we can understand the motives of a spirit. Look at 1 John with me, chapter 4, verse number 1. Notice what the Bible tells us. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many are false prophets are gone out into the world, hereby... Know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world 
We look at this today and we state, wow, there's so many people who can claim or who would fit into the spirit of the Antichrist. This has been going on for 2,000 years. Let me just simply state, it's been all going on all the way since Cain. This is not anything new. And the Holy Spirit is very, very much aware of this. And so what is the test that John gives us? It is a confession of the humanity and the purpose and the deity of jesus christ john stated that one that confesses that jesus christ was put in the womb of a virgin named mary born of the flesh lived on this earth like you and me was tempted and yet never sinned died on the cross was buried rose bodily from the grave and ascended bodily to heaven cannot make that full confession without knowing the spirit of god one who ascribes to the deity of jesus christ and claims and believes that jesus christ did come he was made flesh and he did dwell among men and he did suffer and pay pay for sins on the cross and died and rose bodily from the grave cannot do so without knowing the spirit of god there's an unbeliever that you're working with and encouraging to come to christ it's so important for them to understand who jesus is you cannot call upon a savior if you do not believe jesus is the savior and that's where john is speaking of he's pointing to the fact it's understanding that jesus is the savior is the one who you put your faith and trust in oh how important it is to understand that the confession of the humanity of jesus christ leads to the confession of the deity of jesus christ an evil and deceptive heart and a evil and demonic spirit will not confess this according to john but the holy spirit leads and directs the holy spirit points people a direction when one knows the spirit of god when not one has received jesus christ as savior the holy spirit gives directionality to a christian Look with me in John chapter 14. Let's do a brief Bible study here and we'll be done here in just a moment. John chapter 14, look at what the Bible says in verse number 15. Familiar portions of scripture, but I want you to understand and want you to see these uh, in black and white on the printed page here, exactly what God has here. The Bible says in John chapter 14, verse number 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, notice this statement, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. What happened when I got saved? According to the Bible, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God and even God the Father came to dwell within me. 
The Holy Spirit of God indwells or comes to live inside of my heart. What an incredible thing it is that God himself would indwell the believer, those who put their faith and trust in Christ. And notice what the Holy Spirit begins to do as he indwells us. Look at verse number 26 of the same chapter in John. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, just in case you were not clear in earlier verse, in verse number 15, that the Comforter is not the Holy Ghost, Jesus clarifies that very clearly here. Whom the Father will send in my name. No, whose name? Jesus' name. Again, the Holy Spirit is given the direction right there. The point or the focus of the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus Christ. Teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Holy Spirit's role is to what? To teach us. To teach us what? And to direct us how? To teach us and direct us to Jesus Christ. To conform to His image as Colossians teaches us. We are to be pointed to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is the one that indwells us, that conforms or shapes us or teaches us what Jesus Christ wants and desires and would do look at what the bible says in john chapter 15 verse number 26 but when the comforter again that's the holy spirit the holy ghost is come whom i will send unto you from the father even the spirit of truth the holy spirit directs the truth which proceedeth from the father notice these words very carefully do not forget these he shall testify of me. That word testify means to confirm, validate, or give evidence to. So the Holy Spirit continually in our heart and life points us, confirms in our heart, validates in our heart, gives evidence to our heart of what? Of Jesus Christ. What is the Spirit's purpose? Is to conform us to Christ, is to change our lives to match the life of Jesus Christ, the image of Jesus Christ. He is to direct us and to point our direction to our Savior. And he, and he also shall bear witness, notice what happens, when we are focused upon Jesus Christ we begin to bear witness just as the disciples began to bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. Jesus stated, as the Holy Spirit points your heart to my life and to me, it's going to begin to overflow into a heart that desires and looks to how to bear witness of Jesus Christ. The heart is going to want and uh, want to grow and to continue to tell others about jesus because of what he's done in our heart because of what he's done in our life it is going to be a natural product of a christian that is growing because the holy spirit has been testifying of jesus christ that our heart and life is going to want to testify of jesus christ are you with me does that make sense here this morning now look at what the bible says in john chapter 16 and we'll end with this 
Look at verse number seven, please. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Notice this verse here. So important as we think about the context going into 1 Corinthians 12. For he shall not speak of himself. Who is Jesus speaking about? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. Same, same person, same, same part of the Trinity of God. Just different names for him. Different aspects of the Holy Spirit of God. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Notice this phrase now. He shall glorify me. Does it say the Holy Spirit will glorify the Holy Spirit? No. The Holy Spirit glorifies, compels one heart to focus upon who? Jesus Christ. Notice how the Bible continues here as Jesus begin, continues speaking. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. Because I go to the Father. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit according to Jesus Christ? The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help us direct our hearts to Jesus and to direct other hearts to Jesus Christ. According to Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit's purpose is not to promote himself. Should we talk to him like we talk to the Father? Absolutely. Should we talk to Jesus Christ in prayer? Absolutely. Should we talk to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Comforter in prayer? Absolutely. It's not removing the deity, but it is showing the focus point of what God wants us to look to. And as we said a moment ago in Colossians, he reminds us that we are to be conformed to not the image of the Holy Ghost or to the image of the Father, but to the Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's the same thing. We are to focus our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ. What an incredible thing it is that God puts within us his spirit to help us to know and to conform our lives to none other than Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, affirms in our hearts who Jesus is. He encourages our hearts to believe and hope in Jesus as Savior. And when one puts their 
faith and trust in Christ, he quickens or brings to life our spirit when we, by faith, call upon Jesus as Savior. He brings us into the family of God and then directs our hearts to help people know Jesus as their Savior. That's the role of the Holy Spirit and how powerful and rich it is, how incredible it is of the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and life. And the role now of the Holy Spirit is to help our hearts to be focused upon Jesus Christ and strive to bring the testimony of Christ to others, encouraging people to know Jesus as their Savior. That's the focus. That's the purpose. And so the test that Paul gives us in verse number three is to speak of two things. First of all, when he says Jesus is Lord, remember it's speaking of public ministry, using their gifts. All it's what is their motive. Remember, Jesus is the Lord, speaks of master, of the one in which I'm following. So if one is using their talents and their talent is not, or their gift is not bringing people to Jesus Christ, but rather uplifting their own spiritual gift, it exposes what is the Lord of their life. Their Lord is not Jesus Christ. Their Lord is their gift. And God does not want our gift to be prominent or to, or to take the throne over Jesus Christ. And so Paul here begins to dive into the motive. Who is Lord? Is Jesus the Lord? Is Jesus whom you are pointing people to with this gift? Or are you just trying to get the focus upon yourself with this gift? How sad it is today that so many focus upon an experience that they think came from a quote-unquote gift. But if that gift is the focus and not Jesus Christ, that gift is contrary to the Spirit of God. It's not of God. He exposes the motive, and he also shows of whom should be leading. Jesus is the Lord. God puts things in right order, right perspective. It pulls out the motive if our heart is to lift up ourself with some spiritual talent or what we call a spiritual talent or gift. But also it speaks of that in which whom we're following. Who are we following? Sadly, I hear today, I need an experience. Sadly, we hear in too many churches today, I need to feel a certain way. I need to experience a certain thing. I need this in my life. And if I don't feel this certain way, then suddenly their belief in God begins to tumble. They begin to come on shaky ground. It's, I don't know if I'm saved now. 
wait a minute, because you don't feel a certain way? Last time I checked, when I got saved, I got saved not because I felt a certain way, but because of the word of God. When I called upon Jesus Christ, God says, I will save you. Full stop. End of story. It's as simple as that. Do we believe the word of God or do we believe an experience? If we put our hope upon an experience, upon what we felt, some euphoric time, that is shaky ground. Because let's face it, we live in a sinful world that's going to attack. We live in a world that truly wants Christ to not be told. And it will do everything in its power to stop us from doing so. And so that moment in which we are in a corner, as it were, and we're fighting for our lives, preaching Christ, and that day is drawing nearer and nearer, and the experiences are all hurtful, what's going to see us through? If it's the experience, we'll say, you're right, I was wrong. If it's a belief in the word of God, that is something that will be unchanging. It will bring stability and a firmness to our salvation. But the core is, and the root of it is, is who is our Lord? Who are we following? Are we following the truth? Jesus is the truth. He is the word of God. Who is our Lord? Experiences change. Emotions change. Jesus never changes. I encourage you as we think about these spiritual gifts that we remind ourselves of the introduction that Paul gives. Paul states we need to be understanding that our spiritual gifts that God gives are not for us to promote ourselves or even to say you have to have a spiritual gift of some type, but rather to draw people to Jesus Christ, to point people to Jesus Christ. And if we understand that, it filters out a lot a lot of false teaching. Let's remember this important chapter and let's begin putting the spiritual gifts God gives into context. So when the time comes and our faith is questioned, we've got a firm ground. His name is Jesus. What an incredible word of God we have that brings stability in our life. So that way when circumstances changes, we know we're anchored, we're stable. We balance, we are balanced upon Jesus Christ and Him alone. May I encourage you, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, may I encourage you to do so this morning. Trust Him. There's nothing like a relationship with him. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you into the family of God as we met a moment ago. 
the Holy Spirit, as we spoke of the gospel, confirmed in your heart that that's true. Jesus did come by way of a virgin birth. He did die on the cross for you and for me. And truly, he wants you to put your faith and trust in him. I encourage you to do so. Christian, may I encourage you to be focused upon the word of God, the unchanging truth. Not a circumstance, not a feeling or an emotion, but upon Jesus alone. That will carry you through.